The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 1. Take a little sidestep here from John to 1 John. In 1 John, he deals with something that I think all of us are affected by. Don't talk about it that much, but the question is, how can sinners have fellowship with God? How is that even possible? How is it possible for a holy God to have fellowship with sinners? <laughs> because that's what we are, according to the Word of God. And uh, so we want to look at is First uh, John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Let me just read this passage. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the propitiation, which means satisfaction. He's a satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked, as Jesus walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which he has has had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard, that is, that you love one another. And, of course, the new commandment is the same commandment. He says, I give you a new commandment, which is love one another the way I have loved you. And what changed is Jesus gave us this example of what loving a brother is really supposed to be. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because you have been forgiven for his namesake. He talks to the fathers, to the sons, and to the little children. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one, and I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. So the question is, uh, how is it even possible for for uh, God to have fellowship with sinners like us? Is it even possible? Well, the answer is yes. And he says right away, he gives an answer to this question, this is how it can be done, by walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. And so this is what he is saying. This is how we can be partakers of God's life 
because God is God is light, and the reason He is light, it speaks of the fact that He that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of Christ, is constantly manifested in His life, in all of His dealings. It is a manifestation of the presence of Jesus Christ in Him. Now, the truth about God's nature is given to us here in verses five through seven. In the verses five through seven, He says, "The one who says." I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. It's come to fruition. It's come to completeness. By this we know that we are in him because we know that the source of this could come from no one else. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. In other words, if we say that we walk in him, we should walk in the very same way that the Father walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment and so forth. Um, in verse 1, he talks about the word of life. And the word of life is at the center of this truth. And what he's talking about with the word of life is the message of life. What is that message? Well, it's the gospel. That's what the, that's what the word of life is. It's talking about the gospel, what the apostles preached. It's the content which they preached, which Christ came into the world to redeem us, to save us, to pay for our sins, and to set us free. This historical present manifestation of eternal life was seen in the Father as he brought his Son into the world to accomplish this task. And uh, the truth about God's nature is found here in verses 5 through 7. This is what God is really like. He is light. And therefore, that means something to us. Uh, What is God's life like? Well, verse 5 says God is light in a sense, the most comprehensive statement about the essential being of God in the Bible, that God is light. And that is, having fellowship with God means that I must walk in the light as he is in the light. But what does that mean? Well, in Scripture, light is related to our being, the character and ability of God in two primary ways. First of all, it talks about how light is a sign of God's presence. When we see light in the Scriptures, it often is a sign of the presence of God. For example, the pillar of fire or the Shekinah glory. These are evidences of God's presence. He is present in a situation and he's seen by the light that is being manifested. And so it's a sign of the presence of God. It's also a symbol of his self-revelation. God is like no one else you've ever met because he always tells the truth about himself. I, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I know I have because somebody's told me I mentioned it too much. But I heard a guy, I heard him on the radio. He was a pastor and he said, you know, I wished all my sins could just be seen by everybody and it would be over. The struggle would be over. I wouldn't have to try to hide my sin anymore. And at first I thought, now that's a dunderhead. Why would he say such a thing? And yet I thought, that is really the truth, isn't it? That That's one of the great distractions of our life is trying to make sure that our sins are not seen, that they're not observable. We want them in a dark place where they can't be seen. But God is light, and we really see the truth about him. It isn't just that he claims it. It is we see it manifested in him that God is who he says he is. This is what he is. He is light. So it's both a sign of his presence as well as symbol of his self-revelation. It wouldn't be great to be able to be totally uh, transparent about yourself and about who you are and what your heart, the condition is when you talk to people. Uh, it would be so much easier than trying to remember everything <laughs> that we're supposed to remember. And uh, these implications of God being light, both of them are true, that he is self-revealing and that Everything else in his character is seen because he is light. And so we can see the truth about God. And so reality is what is seen, and light is what is revealed to us. 
John says there's no darkness in him at all. And the emphasis there is that the completeness of God's self-divine revelation, God, God's nature is such that he cannot and will not hide his true nature, and he won't allow us to do it either. Isn't that something that he won't let you to live in fellowship with him and hide the truth about yourself? He wants you, like himself, to be truthful and transparent because this is what being light is. It's a matter of character. I can't lie to you. I can't hide my sin. I have to be honest. And that's what he says about God. That's who he is. And all of us want to be like God. It's just that we're not. (laughs) But we want to be. We want to be like God. We want to be transparent the way God is. And so the the, uh, real life implications of this passage, of this character of God, if you notice in verses 6 to 7, he says, the one who says, he abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. And he goes on to talk about this commandment of us loving one another, that being the truth, not in something made up, not something that I'm supposed to remember. You know, like your wife tells you, hey, don't forget to tell him that you care about him. Okay, but, <laughs> but you need something more than that. You need a heart that manifests the truth in the way that you act and the way you respond to your brothers and sisters in Christ. So real-life implications of this message found here in 6 and 7, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so we ought to, we ought to walk in the same way. We ought to walk in love. We love each other. We care for one another. Most of you know that this past week, Dave Quillacy passed away. The funeral is on Tuesday. and. Uh, Get this, I couldn't believe it. it's because of the virus thing. I think is uh, there can only be 20, 25 people, and there can only take 24 minutes, no more than 24 minutes. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's wrapping it up quick, isn't it? But uh, the, the thing that I loved about Dave was what you see was what you got. He really was honest. He was very transparent with you. And sometimes it was surprising. And some people are not, not, uh, they're not used to that. This man was truly transparent about what he was thinking and what was going on in his heart and his head. I think it's a great thing that we can do to come together as God's people and celebrate the fact that God has done a wonderful work in this man's life. You know, it's typically in a a funeral what you want to do is you get a kind of a historical sketch of the person and put it together and then to communicate it to to the flock. But a better way is simply to look at what the scriptures say about the epochs of our life. Every believer has five epochs. That is five parts to your life. The first part is found in Romans chapter 8 when it says, those whom he foreknew, which means foreloved. That's what that word means, foreknow. It means to forelove. He says, those whom he foreknew are foreloved. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, predestination is not a scary word. It simply means that God has a plan. He has laid down a plan by which he's going to conform his sons, into the image of Christ. That's what he did. That's exactly what happened in his life. And so he foreknows us, he foreloves us. That's the first uh, thing in our life that we see. And then secondly, he predestines us. And predestination, it's not a scary word. It's a word that simply means God has determined a way in which he's going to conform us into the image of Christ. He knows how to do it. You don't, and I don't. But he does, and he knows how to conform us into the image of Christ. And so we take great pleasure in that, that God has a plan and a purpose. And having foreloved us means that he's, come in, he's become very acquainted with us. That's what happens at the very beginning. 
In fact, we're told in Ephesians 1, this happens before the foundation of the world. In other places, it happens before we were born. But the point is that God knows how to work in our life and that we experience the truth that he knows us and he cares about us. And he shows his heart to us. He walks in transparency. He is light. And therefore, he shows us just how much he loves us. I've mentioned before that in the scriptures, something that is repeated over and over again, and that is that the glory of Christ, when you see Christ glorified, which means that, that you see his character, his nature manifested, when that happens, you are driven to worship him. It's what happens when we see his glorious, we're drawn into worship of the living Christ. And uh, this is exactly because that God wants us to see the truth about him. This is what God wants to share his life with us. That's what we're told over and over again. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-4, through 4, it says that very thing, that he wants to share his life with us. And the book of 1 John is all about a life, the life of God manifested in us and how we can become partakers of God's life. I can love the way God loves when he empowers me to. I can't automatically, but I can as I trust him. And he, this is what he wants to do. He wants to manifest within us the truth about his own life. And so he has called us to be known by him. Think about that for a moment. That God says he wants to give you, he wants to tell you something that's been a secret. He knows you and he wants you to be known and he wants you to know him. He wants you to truly know the living God and understand who he is. Because he is your salvation. He is the source of your life. These truths that we see in 1 John about the life of God, that that God has... I I think most of you have probably seen this song that's been on uh, YouTube. It won the Dove Award, which is the highest award among Christian music. And it's called uh, There Was Jesus. And what it's about is this. It's about the fact that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ will never leave you or forsake you, but he'll always go before you. You have this promise from him. It's absolutely true, it cannot be undone, that he is going to be with you. But what the song is about, I was going through things and I couldn't see him. I didn't see him. I kept going down these tracks and I didn't see Jesus. I didn't know where he was at. And I was told that this was the promise of God, that Jesus would be with us. And so they sing this song, There Was Jesus, and it has quite an impact because the song itself is talking about when we're going through life and we're troubled and we can't seem to see Jesus anywhere in all this whole situation. It all seems to be so contradictory to the fact that he is with us. And then all of a sudden our eyes are open and we see Jesus. And that's what the line keeps coming back. There was Jesus. There was Jesus. There was Jesus. He is with you. And it's, it's one of the promises of God that cannot be broken. It's an unconditional promise. He doesn't say, if you do this, then I will do this. He just says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be faithful in this. I am going to make sure that Jesus is in and around you. And so as you listen to that song, it ought to penetrate your heart because it's about the truth that God has said that this is what he's going to do. And there's no doubts about it. He is going to uh, make sure that you experience the presence of Jesus Christ in all of life. Now, uh, the negative side of John's argument is found here in verse 6 when it says, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And that is the negative side is, wait a minute, you're, it says, the Bible says that you, that God has life in himself. And if you know God, if you fellowship with God, it's because you have life in yourself. And his life is light. 
it reveals the truth about who he is and who you are. This is the, one of those things that when you enter into his presence, you are unveiled before him. Remember Romans chapter 6, where Isaiah goes before the Lord, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. Woe is me. He says, man, I, w- I wish I could hide myself. I wish I could cover all this up. But you can't, because he has made you in the image of, his, of God, and therefore God wants you to also experience what it's like to be light. And one of the things that happened with Jesus it's in his life story is that Jesus was light. And so a lot of people, they, what they did is they did the best to stay away from him because he made them nervous because he was light. And when you were with him, you had this feeling that, this is what it says in the text, you had this feeling that he could see right through you. He could see the truth about you. And so you wanted to get away from that light. But the fact is, in order to get away from that light, you have to get away from Jesus, and he is omnipresent. When he saved you, he promised he would be with you forever throughout all of life. And so this is why we need to understand that you can't hide sin, because the God that we deal with can see. He is light, and he can see the truth about us, and he knows the truth about us. First John makes it clear that the new birth proceeds, comes before perception, this new perception that we have where we can see what we couldn't see before. And uh, so we need to understand that this is why he's given us eternal life. You all are surely aware that the Bible in 1 John talks about how God has given us eternal life, and he gave us eternal life in his Son. This life of God is in the Son. This light of life is in the Son. And when you receive Christ, you receive his life. And so you have eternal life. And what does Jesus say in John 17? Well, he says the purpose of eternal life is this. He's telling the Father this. He says, the purpose of eternal life is that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, this is one of the things about the plan and purpose of God is he wants you to know him. And he wants you to stop fiddling around with thinking that you could live your life without knowing God, without being exposed to him, about without seeing the truth about who he is. This is what he's going to do. It's his nature. He's going to reveal himself to you. And he wants you to know, truly know him. This is why it's so wonderful. The work of salvation is so wonderful because it's God coming very close. The whole book of Hebrews, uh, you'll notice this when you read through it. You just sit down and read through the book of Hebrews. It's all about God wanting to reveal himself to the world. He wants people who come to faith in him to know him and to know the truth about him and to respond to that truth, respond to the fact that he is God and he is light. And so we are to live with a clear eye. And what a clear eye is, it's when we please God in secret by laying up treasure in heaven, or that does lay up treasure in heaven. We recognize God as our master. And so we are aware that he sees us, and we live before him in truth. We don't try to hide the fact of what we are. It's something how that is a great deception of Satan. He wants to fool you into thinking that if you really want to be happy in the Christian life, you've got to learn to hide your bad stuff. Uh, I remember growing up in a church where that was one of the main things is you must always keep your failures a secret. Don't let people know about them because it will destroy all your relationships. Well, the Bible says something very different. It says, confess your sins. That's how you get rid of sin. How do I deal with sin? I confess it. What does confess mean? You say the same thing about it that God does. That's what you do. I used to, I didn't understand how those things went together. And I remember thinking that what I had to do was I had to beg 
God to forgive me and beg him to excuse the fact that I was so bad. And I would tell him how bad I was because I thought that's what I should do. And then I came to see in the scriptures that Jesus died for my sins. And what he wants me to do is to confess my sins and then to thank him for his forgiveness because he sent the son to pay for my sins. This is what the Bible tells us over and over again, that Christ came into the world to die for our sins and to give us life eternal so that we could be forgiven and we don't have to be held in bondage because Jesus has made all that is necessary. He made the payment that's necessary to set us free from sin. And so the first benefit we have is we have fellowship with one another. Now that expression, one another, is talking about you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ. We love one another as a result of salvation. When you come to faith in Christ, you get to know People want to know, why did, why did you start going to church? Well, you know, I became a Christian, so I started going to church. Well, let me tell you, that's not the only thing. You go to church because that's where you experience the reality of salvation. It's where you can love people that aren't perfect. Have you ever noticed that? There are no perfect Christians. There are no Christians around who are perfect. Now, there are some Christians who, like, who get pretty good at hiding their sin, but there are no Christians around who actually have no sin. And so we have a Savior who's able to forgive us our sins by us simply confessing our sins, confessing them. Now, you know what confess means? Fess means to uh, admit. It means to, you know, to speak up. And confess is to, we say the same thing that Christ says. What does Jesus say about your sins? What does the Father say about your sins? You know what he says? He says, my son died for that. You don't have to live in that any longer because my son died for that so that you could be set free. And you simply need to trust him and believe him and live your life in light of the fact that he has gotten rid of all of your guilt. I remember hearing a preacher say, you know, when you, when you pray and you uh, confess your sin, you ought to reconfess all of your sins because you'll forget some. I wanted to say you're a knucklehead. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard because, of course, you're going to forget. But that's not the point. It isn't the point that it's a magical formula. If I confess my sins, it's forgiven. It's the fact that I, I, I connect my heart with the heart of Christ. He died for my sins, and I'm acknowledging it. That's what I'm doing. I'm simply saying, thank you, Father, for sending your Son into the world to die for my sins. I know they're serious. I know that when he died for my sins, those sins were taken away from me because of that when I trusted him. And this is exactly what's taken place and what God wants you to acknowledge and know and understand. And that will give you a clear eye so that you can speak the truth. You can tell the truth. I think it's one of the amazing things is when you, when you start walking in the light, you don't become sinless. Have you noticed that? You don't become sinless. You simply be, re, begin to recognize how sinful you really are. Wow, I'm worse than I thought. I, I told you, I've told you guys before about Jack Miller. He used to say, cheer up, you're worse than you think. And God loves you far more than you could ever imagine. It's the truth. We are. We, uh, we are, are very dim about this. What he says is the two things, if you don't confess your sins, you make God a liar. Why in the world would God send his son to die for your sins if you're not a sinner? And the second thing is, his word is not in us. In other words, it isn't having its sway over us. The word of God isn't touching us. It's not really producing the righteous mindset. Walking in the light means confessing our sins. That's what verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. I've always loved that passage because he, say, he doesn't say, confess your sins and they'll be forgiven because he's very merciful. It says he's righteous. 
You see, it's the right thing for Christ to do is to forgive your sins when you confess them. Now, sometimes we say, you know, we, we understand that he's the one who knows what real confession is. So when we confess our sins, we know that he actually forgives. This, this is the very nature of the Son. He forgives our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And you know why? Why does he do that? Because he's faithful. That's what he says. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They thought it would be better to hide their sins in the darkness than it would be to confess our sins and be freed from them. So everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither He doesn't come to the light. But if you came to the light, his deeds would be reproved. When I come to the light, I can see the truth. Isn't that the worst part about going to church where people are actually serious about worship? And you realize, wow, I have been walking in darkness this past week. I've been acting as though God doesn't even exist, as though Christ isn't even my Savior. And so what does it push me to do? It pushes me to confess my sins and to be set free from that kind of bondage. God wants you to be free, and he wants you to live in the light. He wants you to... uh experience the depth of his forgiveness. It's overwhelming. It's absolutely amazing what God has done for us. This isn't a cheap salvation. This is a salvation that took nothing less than the Son of God coming and giving his life on behalf of us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and made made right with God. Because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, which means he's the satisfaction. How could you possibly get rid of sin? Uh, you know, when a little kid's growing up, if, I don't know if you've ever had one of these conversations. So what should we do about your failures? What should we do about your sins and your lies and your hurts and so forth? Well, what we should do is we should turn you to Christ. We need you to come to know who Christ is and what he has done about your sins. He has set you free from them, and he wants you to turn to him in faith and to experience the joy of being forgiven, truly forgiven, and to walk in this light that he has given to us. So the light is that which reveals, and darkness is that which conceals. And what he wants us to do as Christians is to live in the light, living in the light of God's self-evaluation. And so what happens is we begin to experience what it's like to be free, to be free from our failures, to be free from all those things we say, cheer up, you're worse than you think. We all know that, don't we? We know, because we know that people who aren't close to us would have a hard time believing that we have so much problem that we have to turn to him for. But the wonderful thing is that he has the solution. The solution is his substitutionary death. Jesus has died for sinners and the worst of sinners. This, this whole thing about uh, understanding that uh, God loves sinners is hard for people because the Pharisees, for example, they couldn't believe that Jesus would manifest love for people that they knew were real sinners. And so they would rebuke him. And what he would explain was the reason that they're free from sin, the reason that they're free from the bondage of sin, is because of his work on the cross. He died for our sins. Every sin I've ever committed, Jesus has died for them. And so when I turn to him, I can say openly and honestly, I have sinned. I've sinned against you. This is what you told me to do. You told me to love my brothers in Christ. Can you imagine? We have, we have been commanded to love each other, to uh, see each other for who we really are, purchased by the living God with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this little book of 1 John, it is constantly talking about 
the redemption that comes in Christ Jesus. He is the one who has set us free. And he wants us to live our lives in full awareness of that and in responding to it. He wants us to respond to the truth of the glory of Jesus Christ. Who else is so glorious that he could actually give his life to pay for the sins of a world that was in rebellion against God? No other. He's the only one. And so we get to worship him and we get to draw close to him. And that's what, that's what the word of God is all about. It's, it's all about teaching you how to draw close to him and experience this fullness of relationship that we have with him, that he's able to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think I've mentioned this before, but that expression, so powerful. He forgives your particular sins. That's those things that you've done and you know they're wrong. You know that you have sinned against God because you have violated his commandment. For example, as him, I told my wife one time that I, I had gotten to come under real conviction about something. I ran into a verse. I don't know if you've ever read this verse, but it says, Husbands, Love your wives the way Christ loved the church. And I can remember the conviction that I felt about that. Was this the word of God? It wasn't a meeting. The guy didn't get up and, and his blood vessels show and he preached his heart out. It was just the word of God that told me that I should love my wife the way Christ loved the church. And that's what he's, that's what he's done. That's what he's told us. And he will empower us to do that. That's, that's one of the most blessed truths in all the world, that he will empower us to do that very thing. This is what he's called us for. And you know, the only way we can do that is if we take seriously our forgiveness. I've been forgiven, and you've been forgiven because you put your faith in Christ. And the only way that we can live the Christian life on any level is if we actually believe the truth that Christ has paid for our sins, and he has made us one with him, and therefore he's made us right with God because of that. And so let me pray for you. Our Father, we thank you so much for the, the blessedness of knowing the gospel. We thank you that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that he has done everything necessary to bring us forgiveness and cleansing and to make us right with you. We are so glad, Father, that you set your love upon us. When we read that expression that you, you have foreknown us, you've known us, which means you have foreloved us, you've cared about us, you put your love upon us, even though we had nothing in ourselves that we could say, oh, I know why he loves me, because of this. No, we had nothing like that. We just were so surprised that, this, that the God of the universe is able to love people like us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the for forgiveness you've given us and the life that you've given us, Father. We pray that this week we'd have opportunity, Lord, to not only live in the light, but also share the light with others so we could see people coming to believe in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, through, through him, we, uh, we have forgiveness and we have renewal, and we are so grateful for that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.